welcome to the Mile 99 interview series with your co-hosts Greg Larkin and Mike Turner. We hope you enjoy the show and we'll see you on the trails. Hey everybody, this is Greg Larkin, one of the co-hosts of the Mile 99 interview series and I'm joined with uh, my co-host Mike Turner as always. Hey guys. And we're joined by Jack Macy, a board member of the Donner Party Mountain Runners, and he's here to introduce a special episode. Hey, Greg. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having us. Uh, so excited that you are willing to share Donner Party Mountain Runners uh, special event we had on August 16th, where we interviewed two of our members, Helen Pelster and Adam Kimball, who both ran FKTs on the Tahoe Rim Trail in July, ran and set records, and just had a fantastic conversation with them where they shared uh, their experiences. They detailed their planning, their gear, how they executed their runs um, and answered a lot of uh, listener questions that, that came up. And I think people really enjoyed it and it was a wonderful event, very inspiring. And I hope your, your listeners enjoy it as well. Well, thanks very much for setting that up, Jack. And I'm sure it's going to be a uh, really enjoyable episode for everyone. So let's get right to it. Good evening and welcome to Donner Party Mountain Runners celebration of Helen Pelster and Adam Kimball uh, with a focus on their FKT runs on the Tahoe Rim Trail this summer. Uh, the TRT has seen a number of record runs over the years from ultra household names like Killian Journet to DPR members, DPMR members and superheroes like Mike Tebbit and Jenny Kappel. The last of the record sitters now includes two more DPMR members, Helen Pelster and Adam Kimball. Helen, can you please introduce yourself? Hi, um, I'm Helen Pelster. I live here in Truckee and was fortunate enough to be one of the founding members of Donner Party Mountain Runners. And I am a lot oh, more sorry. than that. Yeah. <laughs> um, Adam, can you introduce yourself? Yes, I'm uh, Adam Kimball. I am also a DPMR member from Tahoe City, originally from the Midwest. Um, and, uh, I'm a professional ultra runner, motivational speaker, running coach, race director, all things running. Nice. Um, thank you so much to all the DPMR members who submitted a question for Adam and Helen ahead of this event. Um, it takes a lot of pressure off of me, truly. <laughs> um, we've got a lot of thoughtful queries from Adam and Helen, and as such, we won't be taking any live questions uh, during this event. So if you're watching, listening, um, and furiously typing in the chat, trying to get attention. I'm not even, I don't even know where the chat button is. Um, if you aren't a DPMR member and would like to be, you can become a member at DonnerPartyMountainRunners.com for less than $20 a year. I'm proud to also be a founding member uh, with Helen and can continue to be inspired by this club every time I run. Um, if you run into any technical issues during this webinar, DPMR will post a video of the entire conversation on our website as soon as is possible after the event. Um, it might be a couple of days, it might be a couple hours. It will also be posted as audio as a special edition of the Mile 99 interview series podcast. Big shout out to Greg and Paulo for offering to do this and for their support of DPMR. Adam and Helen, let's start with a baseline topic. Um, Adam, this time you can go first. What is an FKT? Uh, so an FKT uh, is an acronym that stands for fastest known time. Essentially, a lot of popular routes all over the world um, have people that go out and run them on their own time the same way that you would a race. Uh, they record a time. If it 
it starts with one person doing it to set a baseline time, which Helen has done herself as well. Um, and you once someone establishes a time, then people go out on that same route and try to run it faster. That's and, so cool. There's yeah. like a pioneering element that you can find a route that inspires you and then do it and then introduce it to that community. Exactly. And that's, that, that's kind of the point of it. It's like, especially, um, it's, it's something that I think appeals. There's some people that love racing like myself, others that don't race as much like you, Chris. And yeah. I think the, the FKT is kind of like a cool opportunity for someone that maybe doesn't like to race as much, but loves going out on cool routes and maybe running them hard and seeing what they can do. So it's like an alternative way to explore those passions. Totally. And so my understanding of the FKT world um, includes the understanding of multiple divisions within the FKT world. Um, with regard to this conversation, you two set FKTs in different divisions. Helen, would you be so kind as to extrapolate on those divisions for us? Happily. Um, so one category is supported, which means you can have whatever help will help you be successful to run it as fast as you possibly can. And the other most common category is unsupported, which means what it sounds like, truly you carry everything with you that you might need um, other than water that you might get from natural sources. Um, and you take care of yourself. There's a little in-between one called self-supported, which can be whatever you want it to be. And um, I, did that last year and it was super super fun way for me to have an introduction to the fkt world and doing my first time around the tahoe rim trail yeah so i you touched on two things that i wanted to talk about both of you um this fkt that just happened was your second lap the first time you went around the lake was not for this record um or it was for this record and it didn't work but whatever the situation is both of you did two laps around Tahoe around for this. Um, I'd love to just hear what both of you drew from that first experience as a broad idea. Um, we can, as we unpack more of the, of your individual runs, we'll dive deeper, I guess. What? You go, Adam. Okay. I was just going to ask you what, what you prefer. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's a great point. Cause I actually didn't think about the fact that both of us have now done it twice in two consecutive years. Um, for me, it was one of those, it was a situation where once I had done it once, uh, the first time that I did it, I, I was, I knew a lot of what to expect, but there was a few sections of the trail that I hadn't been on, like maybe 25 or 30% even. Um, and so some areas I wasn't as familiar with, I also didn't know how the execution was going to look on the whole. And so the first time was kind of like, uh, going out with, with confidence, but also a lot of unanswered questions. The second time it was, okay, still a lot of unanswered questions because uh, we talked about this recently, Chris, a lot of things can happen in 171 miles. So no matter how well trained you are, how fit you are, how aligned everything is, there's a lot of things that can happen to make an attempt at something like this, you know, go sideways. So going into it the second time for me, it was the confidence of knowing that I'm controlling for everything I can control for. And then the rest is going to unfold as it will. And so uh, a big part of that for me was correcting some of the mistakes of the previous time, which for me was uh, missing the crew at a crucial point, getting a little dehydrated in the heat of the day um, and keeping my body fueled and cool and, and dealing with the elements as best that I could in those rougher parts of the day. And then in running in a, in a hotter time period this year, July instead of October, the first time I did it, 
that became amplified as well. So it was not only was it the thing I needed to correct, but I had to really make sure that I did it well the second time to account for the additional heat. So that was, that was the difference in the second time for me. That's cool. And it's cool that you built on that first run to contribute to your second run and the success in that way. Um, Helen, your two runs were in different style. Um, you know, your first run was self-supported. This run was unsupported. And as you said, that that's a difference. And I would say that's a pretty marked difference. You sort of downplayed it, but I think that's a huge, I've done, I've done plenty of self-supported runs with a bike shuttle that were damn sure easier than the unsupported version. Um, if you can drive or if you can chain up a bike somewhere and keep it at the end, it changes. So yeah, how did you, how did your first and second runs, uh, you know, how did, how did you build on that first success since you changed the style, I guess? It, it was significantly more difficult to go completely unsupported. Just, I'm, I'm a, I'm somewhat conservative in, in terms of my, my risk profile. So I, I really wanted to make sure that I was, had more than I needed and I carried more than I needed. Um, so it's, it's a lot. I never went thirsty, even, even in a 24 and a half mile dry section, I didn't go thirsty. Um, which just a quick interjection, Helen, that is amazing to me because <laughs> I, I had a pacer, with me with extra fluids people meeting me like jack on the trail with ice and fluids and i almost ran out so the fact that you did it unsupported i can't wrap my head around that so um thank you adam (laughs) Uh, i will say i can't wrap my head around basically running a 171 mile race which doing it supported is a lot more like race pace a lot more um Whereas when you're out there at that distance on your own, um, it's more about finishing and the endurance of the event. Um, So what I learned between last year, last year I did it self-supported. I had cached food in bear boxes at trailheads. It was frankly quite luxurious. Uh, um, My biggest challenge, my biggest fear going into it was being alone and cold at night. And what it turns out that's not even scary. If you don't want it to be, it doesn't have to be. You just be like, whatever, this is what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm pulling out my slipping bag and I'm going to sleep here on the earth, like humans apparently have always done. It turns out it's not even scary. It doesn't have to be. I, as someone who spends a lot of time running around in the mountains and laying down in the dirt, I will tell you it, when you strip it down to I'm going to bed either way, you want to admit that that's happening or I'm going to be out here all night either way. It's very peaceful. The, the embracing of it changes everything. Absolutely agree. Um, and so, um, so th- once I got over that, um, uh, this year was a heavier lift, literally in terms of the weight, but it was um, it th- that fear factor was gone. That's wonderful. Um, you touched on it. The your experiences were very different because Adam, you were basically running at race pace. Helen, you were out there kind of testing limits of endurance. Um, Adam, do you have any interest in braving the unsupported division, or Helen, are you keen to? Uh, put on some short shorts and give a run at the supported track race. Um, I'll let you guys I'll let you no, go for no, it. Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, my I guess my answer is kind of similar. I I'm very the the unsupported stuff is very intriguing to me. I actually in 2017 myself and a friend ran the length of Great Britain, so a little over a thousand miles self-supported because back to Ellen, uh, excuse me, Helen's distinction earlier, the self-supported, unsupported thing, once you get past a certain amount of miles, the unsupported doesn't become an option any longer because you can't carry a month's worth of food or you could, but no one would want to. So, uh, so we did that self-supported and I love that. Um, and it's a, such a different thing and it's definitely intriguing to me, but at the same time, one of the things I love most about this type of thing is bringing my people and my community together and, and going after a goal together. And so like that is part of the enjoyment for me is involving Helen out there taking photographs, Chris, <laughs> you pacing me into the finish line. Like th those are the things that give me a lot of fulfillment. And so obviously when you're doing it unsupported, there's like a really cool element to it, but you miss out on that part. Helen hard. No, just, I, I, I'll never say never, but it's, <laughs> it's not my intention. Yeah. Um, I, uh, it's the crack of 12 minutes since we started and I just realized we haven't even, I, because I'm your friend, I'm fortunate to call both of you friends. I don't think we've even introduced the actual, um, records that were set. Um, so if you two could just tell, and if you could go first about what record you set, um, obviously people are clicking this, know it was on the Tahoe Rim Trail. Um, could we talk about this a little bit? You set a record. Oh, go ahead. Well, I, I did. Um, I, I don't. Oh, gosh, I don't have the exact time memorized. It was about, it was 75 hours. Okay. Um, and I, I set that record and I want to make sure everyone knows that um, a record had been set just days before by a gal named Fran from Montana, who, who I'm unfamiliar with. Mm -hmm. And then just two days after, um, Candace Burt smashed my record by... 15 hours. Um, so when you forego sleep, it turns right. out that you can get finished a lot faster. And she just did a spectacular run. Well, if I can interject with two things, and no, no, not to take any credit away from her. Um, my understanding of the FKT community is that everybody's a rung on the ladder. I've, I've been proud to have <laughs> earned some FKTs in my life. I've been very proud to have them all taken and bettered. And there we go, up the ladder. Um, we've got a long history of that in our club, um, for instance, and I think in general, that's part of the cool thing. Secondarily, although that record was taken, your self-supported record that you did on your recon run still stands as far <laughs> as I know. Is that correct? I actually technically, an unsupported record trumps a self-supported record. So I would argue that Candace also holds the self-supported record. That, uh, oh, humility... However. I was gonna say, yeah. humility aside, I. I <laughs> well, so that that's the other thing, though, is uh, I've discovered this through through uh, research and speaking to um, to Peter and Buzz, the guys who handle the FKT website and the boards and stuff. Helen is correct in what she said, but at the same time, you can't set a new uh, self-supported record unless it's faster than the unsupported. So with that, Helen has her self-supported record probably protected for a very long time, which is pretty cool. Oh, so oh, I know, no, it was slower than my own, my own unsupported time beat my self-supported time. But your self-supported time is still a record. 
Well, I don't think so. It's all <laughs> it's, good. It's, it's the it's humility. It's the humility. Thank you. Thank you. Let's talk about Adam's killer time because a couple of badass laps from Helen around the TRT. Adam, <laughs> talk about you. <laughs> Yeah, so the, the previous record holder for uh, the Tahoe Rim Trail supported FKT was male, was um, Killian Jernay, and he set that record in 2009, and he's, I'm 33, I think he's 32, so what does that make him, like early 20s when he set that record, yeah. which is wild, um, and uh, yeah, so it stood for over a decade, and um, I finished in 37 hours and 12 minutes, so I took pretty much exactly an hour and 20 minutes off of his 2009 record. Um, and I'm going to shed a little light. When he did it, the official distance back in 2009 was 165 miles. When Adam, you did it, um, it was 171. So putting an hour and change yeah. in a million while throwing in an extra 10K, as one does. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I actually, um, just out of curiosity, I reached out to Peter Bachman, one of the guys I, I mentioned a few minutes ago about – about that, like how that works. And he said, just for, to shed a little light on that, typically how it works is if there's a trail that changes a lot over time. So for example, the superior hiking trail in Minnesota used to be 200 miles. Now it's 300. That's a huge gap, obviously. So yeah. they have a 200 mile superior hiking trail FKT and now the updated 300 mile one. This one was a little bit weird because it's six miles, which is something for sure, but not that drastic. Right. So I asked Peter about it and he's like, honestly, this is not something we normally deal with. How we would probably handle it is if you run that, that ends up being like 4% of it. He's like, if you run 4% faster than Killian, technically you would have the FKT, but there's always going to be, there would always have been a debate had that been the case, you know? Yeah. The cake would be a little less sweet at that point. I think. Yeah. Um, well, Hey, stoked on the bonus miles. Um, <laughs> Helen, why'd you zero in on the TRT FKT as an objective worth training for uh, goal worth chasing down? Like what, why the TRT? Uh, the Tahoe Rim Trail is in our backyard. As I mentioned, I live in Truckee and Adam lives in Tahoe City. And the official start finish of the trail happens to be in Tahoe City. Um, so it was twofold. I think in, I actually, I know I can remember being inspired by uh when Mike Tebbett, I had just met Mike. It was just in the founding years, year of DPMR. And he set an unsupported record on the trail. I, I didn't really know what was going on. I didn't know what an FKT was. I, I didn't really hear about it until afterwards. And it, it, it blew my mind. I was like, what? Like you, you took everything with you and you just did the whole thing. And, um, I also had that, I had that reaction when I, yeah. And, um, then another early DPMR event was, um, Gretchen Brugman, one of our founding board members who gave a presentation about, I, I think it was three days or maybe four that, um, she and some friends did around the lake. And that was like, I think I, I can do that. And I was, I, so that seed was planted. So it was for me more about doing the entire trail than the FKT. And the FKT was an awesome bonus and stoked some competitive fire. So cool. That's awesome. Added. I was also at that talk with Gretchen and their style was awesome. There was like 
hot tubs and chalets and beer. It was just tremendous recovery after each day. And then like clean clothes and you get to go running with your friends. I, I personally was very impressed. Um, Adam, why you? Yeah, uh, you know, uh, my wife Karen and I have moved to Tahoe from Illinois almost four years ago. It'll be four years this October, November. Um, and since moving out here, we've lived in Tahoe City for most of that time, Tahoe Vista before that, but we've been on the lake the whole time. And the TRT is like just the, my, my favorite place to run. Um, I mean, literally from my front door, I can be on the trail in less than a mile. Um, and so it's like, it's, it's, it's been something, a place I've loved to run. I've, I've formulated a lot of incredible memories running on the trail. And so, um, yeah, just, I, I don't know. I can't pinpoint the exact moment when this particular objective popped up, but it did. And then, um, and then I was, I was stoked to go after it. And then more than that, I was, uh, my, my hope all along was, uh, that it would land, back the FKT for the men's time would land back in Tahoe because I felt that was the way it should be, you know, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah. I, uh, I personally appreciate that. Um, <laughs> both touched on such a fondness for the TRT and one that I share. Um, I was just kind of, as I was listening to you, Adam, I was thinking what my favorite TRT section might be. You two seem to be much more familiar with it than I am. Um, Helen, I'm going to ask you a two-parted question. What is your in general favorite part? Uh, TRT section like in life and then what was your favorite during your FKT run I everybody loves desolation wilderness and so do I of course it's difficult not to because it's very beautiful but I have a fondness for Brockway to Rose it's um it's mostly uphill it's a fabulous 15 mile climb you, you see the lake for a long time, um, and then it's a fabulous five mile down. Um, but I love, every part is special, um, and that, so it, it's all good. Funny, this, there were two, two favorite experiences from last year. My favorite experience was headed up Snow Valley Peak, which is on the east side, as the sun was setting and looking across the lake and seeing Castle Peak, I, I just, it was super special. Um, I, have a, I have a colleague that measures his days by how many times he gets goosebumps, and I just got a few, so I'm pretty oh, sure. It was, I, I'm, and the, this year, the tears almost started when I saw the Truckee River right near the finish. I was like, it's, it, it's happening. And um, so that was really special. That's the best. Um, yeah, that's, it's the best. Adam, how about you, man? Yeah, you know, for me, it, it's funny. My answer for uh, favorite just in general is the section, the first 20 miles, the section from Tahoe City to Brockway. And I think it's the section I run by far the most, but I think it, I think it holds like that place in my heart because that some of my first longer, bigger runs out here were in that section. Uh, you and I, Chris, a couple of times we went from Brockway to Watson Lake and back. Um, and I, I don't know. I think, it, I think it was just kind of like, uh, like a, like an introduction to Tahoe trail running for me. And so 
I always think of like, I have a, I have a, an incredible fondness for that, that beginning section of the TRT. Um, as far as during the run for me, my answer is desolation and not because of how beautiful it is. Desolation is incredible, but because during that section I was running with Peter Fain, who another founding member of DPMR and also uh, my coaching partner with run on dirt coaching and, yeah, and uh, bars. yes, yes. Um, and, uh, yeah. So during that section desolation, Peter, uh, kind of put the pedal to the metal and was really cracking the whip hard on me. And that was when we, the flip switched the flips switch flipped <laughs> switch flipped and uh and that was when i was climbing up to dick's pass which is about halfway through the desolation section um and that was like the moment when i was like i thought to myself we're gonna do this and so i'll always remember that moment of you know climbing up to dick's turning around looking at this incredible view and then thinking we're gonna we're gonna achieve something great today and that was a that was a special moment for me I'd love to share like something Adam may not know about that. Please. Yeah, please. Yeah. So I was um, with the team with Adam's team at uh, Echo Lake Trailhead. So this would be maybe 20 miles before the spot Adam's talking about. And uh, Adam's wife, Karen was getting really worried because Adam was a falling at that. You maybe were an hour behind your kind of predicted pace. Mm-hmm. And she was like, she was really bummed. She was keep, she was like, can, can he pull it off? Can he, is this going to happen? And I just said, I said, Oh yes. At that point, Adam, I'll have, you know, I said, absolutely. <laughs> yes. And um, so I, I was delighted to find that we, you were just, you guys were going so hard through there. I, I was so delighted, but not at that point, not surprised. Helen, if I can share something that you might not know, I was the pacer that was supposed to intercept Adam at Parker Pass to the finish. And we got there like two hours early. And because I, I wanted to kind of level up, I ran four miles down the trail to, to a creek where I filtered a bunch of water and I sat down and I was like, I'm going to sit here in the forest, really like mindfulness, um, shit and wait for them and then surprise them and run those four miles up to Barker Pass with them, take some pressure off of Peter, stoke Adam out. And they were so fast that they passed that point before I got down there because I took a little bit of a shortcut and then they got to Barker Pass and Karen was like, what are you doing here? And I was down, you know, big mess. But to put uh, a little light on how fast they were running through desolation, um, your confidence was not misplaced. Yeah, that was uh, one of the most unforgettable moments for me was that moment when I arrived at Barker Pass, which is what, Helen, maybe 16 miles from South City? It's a special, being at Barker is special for for the route, the way that we've chosen to do it, starting and finishing at Tahoe City. It's it's when you know it's done. It is 16 miles is a long ways, but it's so little. There's no, it's mostly downhill. Mm-hmm. And you're like, if, if you can't, if you can't finish from there, that's hard. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so, so I, I arrived there. I was just gonna say, Chris, I arrived there, Karen uh, and Kara, our, our good friend who's part of our crew, were both 
they were the only two there because Chris and Josh and some other people had left. So they're both sitting in chairs and Karen pops up out of her chair and has this, this, this look that I'll never forget. I can't even fully describe on her face. And she goes, what are you doing here? And it was like really concerned that something had gone wrong. And I played into that for just like a quick second and then told her, no, actually like we're actually, things have gone incredibly right is why I'm here. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Helen, to your point that Barker pass, I mean, as somebody I've never run the entire lap is an FKT effort, but I've, I've run that section a lot. And as you, you get that, the only climbing from Barker Pass is up to the Twin Peaks Isle, and you're rewarded with the sentimental view of the Tahoe Basin and your start and finish. And like, there's this loop closing, I don't know, like ASM feeling as <laughs> you see that whole thing. Um, and then it's just a cruisy downhill uh, to the lines, you know. Um, I was just thinking that about, you know, you guys' experiences around that trail. We were just talking about the sections was so different. Um, Helen, you were out for days. You slept, right? I did. I slept this year. I slept about three and a half, four hours for each of two nights. Okay. And Adam, you didn't sleep. No, I attempted to take like a 15 minute nap. I laid down for 15 minutes, but my brain was moving too quick to cool. make it happen. Well, then this makes it easy. Uh, you, we don't have to ask you anything more about sleep. <laughs> um, a number of DPMR members, um, asked two things, one about sleep systems and one and two about how did you combat sleep deprivation, which I guess we'll circle back to Adam for that one. Yes. Um, to clarify, I never felt sleep deprived. I never felt sleepy. Um, so that wasn't particularly an issue. Yeah. Um, and um, sleep. So I have two separate sleep systems um, that I use for different kinds of adventures. And one that I'm using this year is a 20 degree Fahrenheit sleeping bag. I like a piece of Tyvek, which is what I, which is what a race bib is made of. It's kind of this waterproof paper. Um, although I'm switching to an ultralight piece of plastic. Um, and uh, I have this, I should, I should have one of my kids bring it up here. Oh, I'll, I'll get it in a few minutes. Uh, and I have a down hoodie. It's, just, it's not a hoodie. It's just a hood. Oh, cool. And I'm very comfortable. I mean, we're so lucky, like, because we live here, we can look at the weather. And I just waited till there was no rain in the forecast. I was like, okay, yeah. now's the time to go. Um, and I, I find it very comfortable. I just sleep right on the ground and, and I find it very, I don't have any problem with it. I'm not sure why. I wasn't like this when I was younger. I, I've adapted. I, My other, I share that curve as somebody who sleeps in the dirt a lot. I, I did not like that as a kid and you embrace it. I think part of it is Tahoe being beautiful dirt, decomposing granite, I mean, pine bows. It's, it's pretty cush. It's really nice. And my other system, which I recommend, it's very luxurious. Um, is a bivy. It's you know, which is like a a cover for your sleeping bag, so to speak. So this gives you the ground cloth. You're fully enclosed. There's a mosquito net, an inflatable. They have very fancy inflatable sleeping pads now that are actually insulated, and then a sleeping quilt which is what it sounds like, a sleeping bag that doesn't wrap all the way around you. The system's very light. 
but it's um, bulky uh, and really more than than I need. But it's luxurious, and if it might rain, it's it's a good idea. Yeah, somebody who uh, mosquitoes love me, and I don't like mosquitoes. That's not a bad hedge. Yeah, um, Adam, how do you combat sleep deprivation since you tried for fifteen minutes and failed? Yeah, you know, so the the first lap that I did back in October. I think because I fell behind the pace and uh, and I knew that the record was out of reach at a certain point, I was able to get in that 15, 20 minute nap. And then that revived me. I felt great afterwards. This time I tried to do that. Didn't happen. So I was kind of groggy for uh, the majority of the night hours. And then I think the, not that I was like a, you know, a whole lot less tired, but once the sun came back up for me, that was a huge natural combatant of that uh that sleep deprivation and it just so happened that like the sun coming up coincided with me getting close to the desolation section which is where things started to turn around um i had done a pretty intentional job of not using a lot of caffeine up to that point um similarly in races i do the same thing where i try to limit my caffeine until much later in the race when i know it's going to have a much greater impact so i had some some taurine pills um, you know, Coke, a few things like that, that I hit, uh, right when I got to echo Lake. So it was that combined with the sun coming up, combined with the energy of, of Peter Fane being like, let's get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all those things I think together helped to, to combat it. Yeah. He's want to crack some whips that Peter Fane, um, you, uh, you kind of touched on it a little bit. Uh, I'm interested. Oh, Helen, you've got a, you've got your hoodie. Oh, there it is. Oh, not only luxurious, <laughs> but a bit chic. <laughs> and it's it's acts it's whoops it acts like a pillow and an insulator but then i also use my pack as a pillow oh yeah that's a good idea hell and that looks like what football players used to wear as helmets like 100 years ago <laughs> yeah, red, red, i need red, some padding like um I, uh, you touched on a little bit adam with uh you know cokes and stuff you had a crew and basically an unlimited menu of options. I, I, I know I helped arrange for iced coffee and boutique CBD oil at, at certain aid stations. Um, Helen, you had to carry everything you ate for four days, um, which obviously changes the menu a little bit. Um, <laughs> Helen, could you talk about your nutrition strategy, how you thought about it, what you tweaked from one to two, stuff like that? Sure. Um, well, it was a big difference from one to two because last year I had these bear boxes with food stashed. Oh, yeah. Last year, I did it a little bit more backpacker style. I sat down and had like almost a dinner, not with a stove or anything, but um, I had meals um, for dinner, something a little more for breakfast. Um, this year, I was just like, just mostly simple carbs. And um, I threw in some dried meat for little protein. And I, I use these peely nuts, which are a nut that I just choose because it's um, the, the only one that I'm not a little allergic to. Um, so I, I packed up three days worth of food in these uh, seven inch by seven inch odor proof bags. Um, all three days were identical. So, and it, um, so it was Stinger chews, which are just carbs, stinger gels, carbs, dates, some raisins, the peely nuts, and meat sticks. And it just kept it really simple. 
So I didn't, um, when, when you have what you have, you just like, just, you have what you have. There's, if there's no option, you just keep whatever's in the pockets, what I'm eating. Oh, I, and my, away, like at the airport, not as often on three day mm -hmm. runs. Yeah, you know. And my my big treat was these um, plantain chips, and I I crushed them just in advance, and it was kind of like my breakfast and dinner food. Nice, um, Adam. You you had your your lovely wife and company carrying around a smorgasbord. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Like I'd, I'd actually once I finish this answer, I'd be curious to hear what Helen has to say about this. But uh, for me it's with something this long, it's, uh, my strategy is have as many bullets as possible to cover, you know, the range of things I'm going through. So it's like, you know, I've got the typical race food that I would eat gels and chews and things like that. Um, I had liquid calories and then it's trying to eat whatever I can whenever I can. And for me, I was, I was struggling a lot in the second half of the run with, uh, what, my friend Ray refers to as who's on the crew refers to as palate fatigue, where I'm looking at these foods that I normally love. And uh, I'm, I'm literally trying to force them down my throat. And, and it's, it's tough, like eating becomes tough. So for me, especially in the, the heat of the day, liquid calories are crucial, because without that, I'm trying to force down food that is not going down easily at all. And that was problematic for me. And I think if I didn't have as many liquid calories as I had, um, I might've been more apt to get behind on that. But what I'm curious to, to hear from Helen is it sounds like she had a pretty targeted strategy as far as what she was bringing, but I'm curious, um, you know, knowing that you were going, because to, to be clear, Helen is an incredibly well-established successful ultra runner who can go fast when she <laughs> wants to, but for this particular objective decided not to go as fast. So I'm curious if slowing down Helen, if that made if you experienced that palate fatigue or if it was like you were going slow enough that you just had the snacks you had and it wasn't a big deal. That's a great question. And you exactly identified the issue. So might not be palate fatigue. It might be stomach fatigue when, because your effort level is so much greater when you're at race pace um, that there's not a lot of blood left over to process food in the gut. So absolutely, when you're more hiking, fast hiking pace, you, it's a lot easier to keep the food down. And I, I will definitely concur, like any successful 100-mile race I've had has been 90% liquid calories. Yeah. Huh. I, both of you ran two laps to get this and clearly have, well, you guys have thought about your nutrition, you've practiced it, you've been successful with it in races and out of races. Would either of you change anything about your nutrition strategy for a third TRT lap? For me, not, not really. No, I think um, my general strategy was sort of race foods, liquid calories in between aid, as much real food as possible at aid. And that seemed to, to work well for me. I think kind of like what Helen pointed to, the processing of food can be a challenge, especially when you're moving quickly. So trying to get more of that real food at a time when you're taking a bit of a break tends to be advantageous. So that was kind of the strategy. Eat as much real food, whole food as possible when I'm sitting down with the crew and then what, you know, the typical race food that might be easier on the stomach or liquid calories when I'm out on the run. So generally speaking, I think I would keep it about the same. Eat as much as possible when I'm sitting down is now a life motto. 
Helen, you, you seem to have a little bit more of a finely tuned nutrition plan because you had to carry all of it. Would you change anything? Um, I would take less. Um, oh. I'm pulling up right now my spreadsheet. Yeah, so I took, um, I just want to see my total. Shout out to all the spreadsheet dorks out there. My wife <laughs> is thumping in the other room watching this. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Helen, I was going to say for me, uh, while you're looking that up, I, I took around th like three to 350 calories an hour. So I think I was at about 12,000 calories total for the whole thing. And a lot of that was, was liquid. So that is fascinating because I consumed not about, but exactly 11,677 calories. I, so, I weighed and measured my leftovers. Um, so it's, but my intake per hour was much less. Like half. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you, if you at, take out the, I, I typically in a race or event don't eat for the last five, six hours. That's very normal for me. So if you take out the hours that I didn't eat at the end and the hours that I slept, my average consumption was 186 per hour. Almost wow. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but it's very curious that our total consumption was so similar for the distance. Yeah. Um, and I carried with me almost 14,000 calories. So okay. I, if, I think if I were to do it again, I would keep my, my strategy pretty similar, but just carry a, a bit less. Um, because it's, it's this whole, all like backpackers know, it's this whole equation between like, the more you carry, the more effort it is, and the more you have to consume. Yeah, the, uh, the Knowles Outdoor Leadership School had a bullet point, ounces, 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 pounds. You start, you know, yeah, a couple of calories here, all of a sudden you're carrying two extra pounds out there for three days. It's a big deal. Um, I have a question for all of our listeners, watchers on here. Somebody, I assure you, we have a whole wealth of knowledge in the DPMR crew. Somebody is a nutrition something and can extrapolate on this. If you, if you understand the math behind why Adam and Helen had such a disparity in their <laughs> calories per hour, but still ate almost exactly the same amount of total calories. I would love that paper emailed to board at DonnerPartyMountainRunners.com. Thank you very much. <laughs> and I, I wanted to clarify um, what liquid calories means, like Coca-Cola or uh, sports drinks like Tailwind or Scratch or various products. So. Um, I think in a race setting, that's always been my preference, but I felt it was, it would be, it was a great fit for Adam with his support team. But I was, I was worried about like trying to mix up powder and by myself and spill half my calories and make a mess. And it, yeah. Totally. Um, yeah. Go ahead, Adam. No, I was going to say uh, another thing too, Helen, like, Little things, as you know, can have a big impact. And so if you were trying to deal with that and dealing with sticky hands all the time, that could drive you crazy. So uh, another something that can be good to, like, good to limit things that can cause disruption. I, uh, I've gone on a 
more than a couple all day runs in the last couple of weeks. I've been very fortunate and I have had to resort to liquid calories in the heat of August. And I will assure you, if I have to run 10 feet with the sticky hands without washing them off in an Alpine Creek, it's all over for everybody. It's the worst feeling in the world is the yeah, so. Never. So, so the, th- the thing with uh, the TRT is if Helen does that on the east side, then she might have 30 miles of sticky hands, you know? So. <laughs> yeah, that, would been, that would have been like a seppuku situation out there. <laughs> um, so we've touched on nutrition. I want to talk a little bit. I've got two wonderful questions from members about pacing. I'm going to start with the more general one. As much as I believe you both ran gracefully the entire time, what percentage of running versus fast hiking versus ultra stumbling did you do? Um, Helen, I'll let you leave. Uh, gosh, 90% fast hiking. Um, you know, Ooh. maybe, maybe some jogging on the downhill. The, the running was a lot more difficult this year because of the pack weight. Um, I was able to run a little bit more last year. Um, and stumbling, as stumbling, I kept to a minimum. There was one time in Big Meadow, I got quite cold, yeah. and I um, <laughs> so cold. I stopped and opened my pack, and I took my sleeping bag out, and I wrapped it around myself. Oh, my sleeping bag's right here. Look, <laughs> I was like, I wrapped it around myself like a toga, and I'm like walking in the middle of the night in big meadow with just like it was stupid i was just like i have got to find a place to sleep right because this is silly i'm just going so slow i can sleep a few hours and wake up and feel great um and i did it just took me a while to find a spot that wasn't super humid or you know and it's funny these little microclimates you're moving along and in the big meadow itself is like freezing and humid and then it warms up and then you walk a little more and it's cold again. And then there's like, then it's all rock and no place to sleep. And so it was, it was I believe, fine. I believe very strongly what you just outlined is the photograph next to ultra stumbling in the dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> um, Adam, you ran more. I ran some with you. You did. Uh, yeah. I, you know, if I, I was probably somewhere in the 75% running, 25% hiking. Um, and the hikes were all on the significant climbs. So it was like hiking up to Friel. I, I ran basically up until I got to Friel. Or sorry, not Friel, um, Relay. Uh, so hiked up to Relay, hiked a little bit um, over on the, the east side on my way into Spooner. Like, um, uh yeah, just a snow yeah, valley peak. Snow valley peak, exactly. Yeah, and then unexposed section. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then yeah, Friel, um, Dick's Pass, and up to Twin Peaks, kind of the last big climb before you start the descent uh, home to Tahoe City. So, uh, quite a bit of hiking on those. And you know, Helen and I have talked about this multiple times, but it could just be the fact that I'm hitting it, you know, eighty plus miles in, but both times the climb to Friel Pass has absolutely kicked me in the gut. And uh, it's, it's, it's tough. I've hit it in the middle of the night when I'm tired. Um, and so I, I, at some point I, maybe, maybe I don't need to do this, but at some point I should probably go run that when it's not 80 miles deep and I can't see anything. So we'll try to make that happen. <laughs> I'm sure it's lovely. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Same. I would like to think that. So. I, uh, 
did either of you ever consider dropping? And if so, what kept you on trail? Um, if not, how did you manage the doubts of dropping? Helen first. Um, this year, no, no consideration of dropping at all. Really? You ran a hundred or fast hiked 171 miles around the lake and just never thought. Yeah. Last year, I, the first night I really considered it. It was, I, I was just, I laid down and I was kind of sh shaking and pain and discomfort and, um, every, I was full of doubt and I just, I, I was having trouble summoning my, my why. And, um, it's amazing. Like Adam said, what the light of a new day can do. True. Yeah. yeah. I, I did contemplate dropping. Um, I think the, for all of the positives that a second attempt on something like this gives you the maybe one negative was that I had done it. I had completed the lap before. So in my head in the middle of the night, I'm falling a little bit behind pace and I'm like, dude, you've done this before. <laughs> you've fallen behind pace and, com and completed this before. You don't need to do that again. Right. Um, so those, I had a few of those thoughts during the, during the night and, um, and, uh, Mike Sinceri, a DPMR member and a, a good friend of ours and Jeff Reifers, uh, same, another DPMR member, good friend, uh, paced me through those dark sections and both of them, I never explicitly said, I want to quit. In my head, I was saying that to them, I was saying, I don't feel good. I'm getting really tired. The legs aren't working. And both of them were overly positive about how well I was moving in spite of that. And so in my head, I'm like, this is getting annoying. I'm just going to wait till I get to the aid station and I'll tell, I'll tell Karen when I get there that I want to quit. <laughs> and, uh, and then, and then but your whole plan, your whole plan was I'm going to get to the aid station and get my wife to listen to me. <laughs> uh, essentially. Yeah. Uh, but then, but then what happens is you get to the aid station and then the crew is there and then they start pumping you up with positivity and Hey, you're only 45 minutes behind the pace. If you move well, this next section. And then it's like, they're not going to listen to me. I might as well keep moving. And, uh, and then I'm married too. You're, you're not, you're not 50% of that boat either. She's not listening either. <laughs> yeah. So, but then, you know, like at those thoughts, it's funny for, for every type of experience like this, where I'd hit that low and thought, I don't want to continue on and fought through it. That's over time made me a lot stronger in those situations, but what it hasn't made it is easier. It gives you more to draw off of, but it doesn't make in the moment dealing with it any easier. It's just, you know, that you've been through it before. So you got to kind of go to that place and say, all right, let's at least, and I kept telling the crew and, and Josh, who I think is listening right now, he, it made me face my own words. I told them I wanted to get to desolation with about 50 miles to go and be within shot of Killian's time. And I got to desolation. I was 45 minutes to an hour behind my projected time and so like there was some wiggle room and Josh said this is what you said you wanted dude here you are 50 miles to go what do you got and uh and I was like yeah you're right this is exactly what I wanted let's go so so I I obviously I'm proud to know Josh I'm proud to know Mike and Jeff um and I will tell you if I'm back against the wall stumbling through the dark those are two guys I'd want out there with me that's a lot of character um yeah no doubt I uh you had all this Helen you're stumbling around with a sleeping bag on and you got nothing <laughs> <laughs> nobody literally unsupported i i i'm with adam i can't fathom the difference here it, um but it's not because you do because i know my tribe is watching uh, my husband 
literally when I do these things, doesn't sleep until I do. He's watching that dot go around a map for three days straight. And um, so, and the dot is, I use this satellite tracker. Adam used same and in reach as well. And um, it's great because it's a safety device. Uh, I did not carry a phone this time. Uh, I had my Apple watch as a little backup and cause as an alarm for when I went to sleep. Um, but so I, I know that everybody is there cheering me on. And, um, and especially I know that my husband is watching me very much from a safety point of view. So uh, it's, it's there. It's just in a different form. I can assure you we were. I, I was one of the many people. Yeah. Them. Same, same. I'd like to, I'd like to add one thing to that. What, what Helen said about Javier not going to sleep until she goes to sleep. Just a great, a great recognition of the fact that like Helen said, the tribe is, is always behind you for her. It was, there was a veil in front of her and the tribe was behind that veil for me. Everyone was right in front of me, but um, it, it's just, it's amazing. You know, I talked about like bringing the community together and what that does for my heart and my soul uh, and how it fills it up. But like a couple or maybe it was the day after or a day and a half later, whatever it was after I finished my run, um, looking at, uh, Karen and Kara and Josh and Ray, um, on my crew who were still around here and like, we're doing things and I'm starting to come back to life cause I hadn't been sleeping and just seeing how exhausted all of them were. Like I, I am coming back to life and feeling good and seeing how exhausted all of them are is like a physical representation of how much they put into it and I know Helen knows what that's about too but it's just a it gives you such appreciation for the crew and everything that goes into something like this yeah, supported or unsupported right yeah it's not like Helen you don't know what that's like because you've done races you've had a, a supported crew I mean you've got all that stuff in your experience you've got a tremendous wealth of, of race and non-race experience um, so I think we can all agree on that both of you just credited your spouses um, and I know Javier and Karen and, and they're awesome and I understand at least what I can see and understand what their value to you guys as athletes and as, as human beings are, but how did they contribute to this specific FKT for you guys? Obviously it's a little different unsupported versus supported, but you know, can you talk about your, your people? Adam, why don't you tell us about Karen? She's a amazing DPMR member and she was our treasure CFO for a couple of years. And yeah, yeah, Karen, um, I, I like to, so first of all, Karen is an ultra runner, distance runner in her own right. Um, yes, and, uh, but for me as my partner, what has been more, what I've been more grateful for than anything else is that she not only supports me and in, in, in allows me to do the things I love to do, but she is passionate and energized about those things as much as I am. So when we're getting ready for something big, like running a lap around the tower rim trail, she is equally excited to take on that endeavor. And that to me is, is everything because then that takes all of the load of the logistics, the decision-making, all of these things off of me and, uh, and allows me to focus on putting one foot in front of the other quite literally. So, um, she, I mean, she's the, the glue that holds it all together. I think Chris, eloquently stated this after I finished the run and broke the record. He said, you know, I think Adam probably could have gathered together a group of other uh, skinny dudes in short shorts to pace him during this. 
but there's no one he could have substituted for his wife to make this all work. And I think that's exactly what it was. I stand by it. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and Helen's about to talk about Javier. Javier uh, rode on his bike behind me as I was finishing uh, my lap. So he was a part of mine as well, which is quite, quite cool. I was going to say, he was, I was with you at that time. <laughs> You're either chasing or being chased by Javier on a bike. Right? <laughs> My husband, Javier, is um, also an ultra runner, and we share great love for all things geeky. And this, it's just super fun to have a spouse that you can share so much with, so many hobbies, um, but that we can also be our own people. And I know that he's, he's always extremely proud of when I go out and do these big runs. And um, that really helps motivate me. But also, he's very supportive. He's, he spends hours researching the best flashlights, not just flashlight, flashlight system for me, um, getting the in-reach dialed. And we enjoy learning about it together. And um, it's... It's a lot of fun, not to mention the fact that we have two teenagers at home. So just holding down the fort and they really upped their game this time when I came home, like it was obvious that they had actually not just loaded the dishwasher and unloaded it, but actually like washed pots and pans consistently for three days. It was phenomenal. Very appreciated. I, I was hoping we could inspire some people with this talk. <laughs> and if running doesn't fit you, if Helen's teenagers are capable of that, we can all aim just a little higher. <laughs> um, oh, that's I, awesome. I want to build on that for the nerds. Um, what was your, I'm going to let, uh, Helen, you touched on it. What was your most critical piece of equipment? Like, like you, without it, you wouldn't have gotten that KT. Oh, man. Um, You're the nerds. The, it, as far as like tech equipment, well, all. I'm, I'm not taking so much with me. So it's all only critical stuff goes with me. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the flashlight, it's a, um, army tech and it's mount, it's mounted on a little headband. And, and so I have two of the flashlight, one headband. Oh, cool. And then the same battery is, an extra battery can also be plugged into this little tiny charger chassis that I can use to top off the inReach if I need to. So it's all compatible. Um, um, Helen, not to cut you off, but I, I've read your report on this, um, hmm. which was highlighted in a DPMR newsletter. Is your gear list for the nerds available on the internet? I would be happy to share that with people here on the call. Or yeah. maybe um, maybe I I can connect with um, the, the DPMR president. Maybe maybe we can send it out to new members if Ooh. that would help um, get someone to sign up but to be a DPMR member. I'd be happy to do that. I like that, and we can maybe get the boys at uh, Mile Ninety Nine to throw it in the show notes or something on their sure. Podcast. They're they're smarter about this stuff than I am, but I'm sure it's possible. Um, Adam, how about you? Uh, yeah, for me, it was the Katadin B-Free 0.6 liter water filter. Um, even like I, like I said, there was a couple sections, particularly on the east side and then in Desolation, where even with a 
a pacer and extra water bottles, the capability of filtering water in the heat of the day was essential and without it would not have broken the record for sure. Hmm. Cool. Um, Helen, are you happier to have succeeded in the attempt? Um, I mean, well, I guess this is kind of a, you, you mentioned earlier that your record was broken a couple days after. Uh, I was about to ask, are you happier to have done it and now never have to do it again? I set a record on the TRT. I, I mean, you quite literally got a crown. Um, you can just do <laughs> it again. Um, are you happier to, you know, I don't know. I guess, what, what are you most, what are both of you most happy about, but Helen first? I love that question. It's super valid. Um, I was fortunate to participate in I Am Tough 100 Miler, which is a great race in Idaho. I I did it two years and the second year I I won the women's race. And I very much thought when I was done with that, I thought to myself, great, I never have to run a hundred again. And I and I haven't run a hundred mile race since then. (laughs) But I I I don't feel that way about the TRT, not because I feel like I want to go race it or best Candace's record. I, I just feel like there's so many ways to enjoy the Tahoe Rim Trail. I'm, I'm not done with being on that trail. I want to know it even better and um, just keep enjoying it. I don't have any trail fatigue whatsoever. Wow, that's so cool and inspiring. Um, Adam, how about you? Are you happy to never have to do it again? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, <laughs> the, the whole lap, yes. Um, I will be spending a ton of time on the Tower Rim Trail uh, for many, many years. But uh, yeah, I, you know, this was one of those things. I think like one of the, the um, greatest compliments anyone paid to me, uh, Helen, she wrote a little, this was also in the DPMR newsletter. She wrote a little something about covering my, my run. And one of the things that she said, and after she wrote it, she had me uh, read it to see what I thought. And she sort of apologized for it. But what she said was when I, when I told her I was trying to go after Killian's record, she said, to be totally honest, like, I I didn't know if you'd be capable of that. Um, And I told her that's actually a great compliment because I try to, to live my life setting goals that either myself or somebody else thinks that I can't achieve. Um, And then something like this, you know, a lot of things have to come together, but it just, it shows you what the power of an awesome team is capable of. And that's what it is. It's like, I mean, there were so many pieces to this puzzle for me, um, to the team that went into this. And it's like so gratifying to celebrate that together as a group. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. It's so fun. Adam, to- Go ahead, Al. I, Adam, I also think um, with plenty of credit to your team, but I, I think that you trained with more focus this year as well. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Actually, what's interesting, and this, there might be a lesson to be gleaned from this, or maybe it's luck of the draw, like, tra- you know, all sorts of things happen in training and, and in life and in racing and everything. But I intentionally put myself in a position where, and part of it was, was imposed by the state of the world and, and the virus and everything. But I intentionally put myself in a position where I was, training on the lower end of what I would normally do for something like this. So I was still putting in good volume. I felt very, very fit, ready to go, but I didn't 
overextend. And I think in, in the past before some races, I've done just a little bit too much. I love racing. I love adventure running. And sometimes I let that get the best of me. And, uh, and I was intentional this time about making sure that I was totally fresh, that the body was good to go. And I think that did have, have a lot to do with it. And I, I think I mentioned this to both of you, but, um, about a week, less than a week before, uh, I started the lap. Uh, it was the Sunday I started on Friday. It was the Sunday before I went out for like an eight or 10 mile run. And I came back and I told Karen, I said, Karen, for the first time in over a year, at least there's nothing wrong with my body. Um, I mean like nothing hurts, you know, uh, so usually it's just like a little tweak, a little something. It's never too much, but nothing was, was causing me issues. And I think that heading in with that, like knowing that, um, was just the, the extra fuel that I needed. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, you touched on it. The, I, the ongoing pandemic and the resulting cancellations of races have kept us all at home and the TRTs in our backyard. Um, but Helen, did, did that all play into your, uh, you know, like, let's go have a second run at it too. Was this all, I was just, as I was hearing you talk at him, it seems like this might've been a little bit of serendipity to put you guys in a position to succeed. I actually was had considered was thinking about doing this before uh, oh. the pandemic hit. Um, Adam, you had races that got canceled, so you did this move. I, I quite literally would have been running a race the same time that I was doing the TRT lab. So mine was very much serendipity. <laughs> That's a full contrast between the two of you guys' undertakings. You know, Helen, this was something you'd been aiming at for a while. Yeah, well, maybe. Um, I, I felt more doubt this year. I felt um, it, it, I didn't have fear of being out there like last year. I had more fear of failure and I, uh, tried, I tried to get out of it <laughs> once or twice about a week before. <laughs> and I, my husband thankfully would hear nothing of it. <laughs> He's like, no, you're good. Well, just wait. The weather's once this weather system passes, you're good to go. And I was like, I was like, I don't really need to do this. <laughs> so I appreciate him. It was true. To be honest, it was fear of failure. Oh man. Well, yeah. Uh, Helen, as you were saying that, I I just. I guess I'd never really reflected on this before. I just developed a, a thankfulness for the fact that when I was running in the dark, when I was seeing things and, you know, there's the potential for wildlife, I always had someone next to me. Um, <laughs> you had to do that with, you know, the comfort of doing that solo and taking that endeavor on just by yourself. Yeah. It's a, it's a great challenge um, to be solo in, in a different way, less physical and, uh, plenty of mental. Yeah. Um, Helen, if I can jump in, I have two questions. One from a DPM member, one from me. Um, okay. From a member, do you have a mantra or similar to pull on when the hours and miles seem to be crawling along? And like how to stay positive out there by yourself on an unsupported effort? That's a good question. And one thing I know Adam and I share is that we are both fond of, and, and you too, Chris, um, have, mindful practices and I, I can't speak for you too but I know that one of the big reasons that I enjoy my mindful practice is that it really helps me engage with the world 
in the way that I want to when I'm out on the trail. And so I do have some little mantras that help me, but I've shifted mostly to um, using focal points, either my breath or a sensation of relaxation or my footsteps and using some fairly traditional tried and true uh, mindful practices every step of the way that I can summon it uh, helps a lot. Um, Adam, I want to hear your mantra, but I, my question, Helen, you just dovetailed into as somebody that you also mentioned, I am, I have a daily mindfulness practice and pull on breath work a ton for myself. Um, I know you use it within your running, which I don't, I re I regularly do breath work. I do not do it when I'm running. Um, I'd love to just unpack how you view breath work, how you train it and how it supported this run. Adam, we're coming back to your mantra. Hold on. Okay. I, I don't want to unpack it too much because it's, it's a lot to unpack, but I, I do train, I train my breath um, through various techniques, which um, anybody can Google or ask me. Actually, I wrote about it on DPMR. Oh, there you um, go. And we can put those in the show notes. I also, I use my breath as a gauge. So instead of a heart rate monitor, I have this built-in tool called my, my breath. And then the third way is what I just mentioned, which is uh, using it as a focal point. Um, so lots of ways I've really come to find it my most powerful tool. Yeah, maybe you and I can have a stronger cup of coffee another day. I'll, we'll get them back at them. Yeah. Um, thank you, Helen. Um, I, I, yeah, I was just jokingly going to say, Helen, uh, I know that y y this tool, how, like, I can find a heart rate monitor in my Amazon cart. Where am I going to get this breath thing you're speaking of? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, similarly, my, my like generally um, in life in racing, my mantra sort of revolves around being present um, and not focusing on the um, overbearing or overwhelming nature of a large goal, but focusing on what's right in front of me at the moment. So uh, for example, when I was running up and over Friel Pass with Mike um, and really struggling and, and hitting some low points, I remember thinking, I've got another 15 miles to get to Big Meadow. And that felt enormous at the time. Um, and then I, I kind of like reframed it in my mind. I thought, okay, don't focus on those. Like, you can't focus on 15 miles right now. You got to focus on the next step you're taking, the next mile until we get to this point. Um, and then it's kind of bringing it back to the simplest version of what you're doing. And for me, that helps me to, to get in a more positive mental mind frame and see something um, from the most positive point of view and then make it seem less uh, stressful or severe or whatever, whatever it is. And so by doing that, then I get myself into a better, better state of mind. Then, you know, uh, inevitably what happens is 15 miles that feel like an eternity um, later on turn into 30 miles that I barely even looked at my watch, you know, so it evens out over time. You just have to, you have to put yourself for me, I have to put myself in a, a mental position to not get drawn into the, the overarching goal, but focus on the smaller goals that are going to get me there. Awesome. Awesome. I, I want to dive into our uh, DPMR member questions. And I want to start with uh, a DPMR member we've mentioned by name uh, so far, Mike Tebbett. Um, 
he has a question for each of you. Um, uh, let's do these sort of rapid fiery because there's a lot of questions from a lot of great folks and I don't want to diminish anybody. Um, for Helen, um, this is from Mike. Because I enjoy being the instigator and because I know that after two progressively successful TRT runs and your conversations with Candace, <laughs> you must have played this out in your mind at least a little. Hypothetically speaking, what will your strategy be on your next unsupported TRT FKT when you attempt the elusive sub 60 hour barrier? Securities <laughs> are you willing to forego? If possible. As a test to answer the question for yourself, what are you truly capable of? Mike is the instigator. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hypothetically, this is only hypothetical. I would go much lighter. I would be prepared to go with only trail naps. I would not take my lovely sleeping bag. Um, and I would, I would take a pack that's um, lighter. My pack itself was very light, but it, I, I did get a little chafing but just because it was, had a lot of stuff in it. So I would be committed to going lighter and riskier, frankly. Mike, I hope you enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, recent, I recently got together with Mike and he pointed out so eloquently that if you subtract Helen's sleeping hours, her and Candace's times are a lot closer. There you go, there you go. It's a good, it's a good point. Um, Adam, we touched on it when I asked you if you wanted to ever run up the unsupported record. Uh, Mike asked, given Kyle's un amazing unsupported FKT a couple weeks prior to your supported FKT, um, in which like it was pretty close. He looked like he might've had a shot at Killian's time as an unsupported lap yeah. um, for a minute there. Um, given the uncertainty of race goals in the future, would you ever um, want to run at that, uh, want to run into that record? And if you, if so, what would your strategy be hypothetically? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, again, I, you know, I think, I think the supported at the, at the current moment, supported records speak more to me, but I'm very much intrigued by that. And I don't think it's out of the question. Like it's hypothetical. Sure. But I, I think there's a, there's a, a consideration in the back of my mind at the very least. And the biggest uh, strategy would be starting at Spooner summit. <laughs> if you're going, if you're, if you're going unsupported, taking the 30 ish mile gap of no water and splitting it in half and doing half and doing half of those miles right at the beginning seems and if you ask mike he'll tell you the exact same thing seems to be the smartest strategy for unsupported so if i am to do it i'm going to be starting a spooner nice that's yeah. a really good point um helen your record inspired an attempt that improved on the fkc time you set um you know how i've had i've had that happen but uh, this podcast is about you and adam what how do you how did you process that we all you know nobody wants to get Eaten. Truly. Uh, really. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, it was only tough for a few minutes. Once I knew for sure she was out there, I was, she's, Candace Burt is very accomplished and she's very mentally strong. So I was, I was quite certain that she would best my record if she could finish. Um, but she, she was, she's very bold and courageous. And um, she went so all out, there was a chance she wouldn't finish. So I watched and um, was really sad that I didn't make it to greet her in Tahoe City. Honestly, it was 
two days after I finished and I, I, I just went to bed and I feel awful about that because it is, it's this, you mentioned the FKTs can be like um, rungs on the ladder. Once you're on, on the ladder, your name is listed there. But it's more than that. It's kind of this special, it's a special little club um, that uh, you have this great respect for anybody who accomplishes the same. And it's more camaraderie than competition, uh, truly. Uh, I, just quick interjection, because that was a great point. I just wanted to say, like, prior to, to my run, you know, I talked, I talked to Helen a bunch. I talked to Mike a bunch. Uh, Kyle, who set the men's unsupported record. Um, another friend, Logan, who attempted, he completed, but didn't set the FKT on the men's supported route. Like to Helen's point, people that are doing this are all talking to each other. And it's this cool little, like, uh, unique group, uh, that are brought together by this, this shared experience, which is, is kind of a neat thing. That's super neat. And, and to that point, uh, Helen, I'm sure Candace understands two days after the run that you were just a little tuckered out. She gets it. Um, <laughs> Adam, surely you know that your FKT will eventually be improved upon. Uh, what do you think is possible? How low can it go? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, um, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that, that my record stands for, for a while like Killian's did. Um, but at the same time, I, you know, like looking back on it, um, for me, there was a few, a few points when I took a little more time at aid stations than I probably needed to. Um, it's one of those, it's a, it's a delicate balance when I'm racing a hundred mile race, I spend almost no time at aid stations. It's in, out, in, out, but something like this, you just, there's, for me, there's just like a reset mental, physical, everything that happens at aid stations. And I try to build upon that. Um, and so, you know, I think I had, I want to say maybe like three, three and a half hours of of not moving time that was part of my overall time. Um, I know that sounds like a lot. Uh, and when I, when I told uh, Peter that after the run, he said something like, looks like you uh, dilly dallied and got pampered for three and a half hours in the middle of your record. Um, and he's not, he's not totally incorrect on that. <laughs> but uh, the point being, there's definitely, you know, if things go well, time can, can certainly be taken off of that. And I think I could improve upon it uh, quite a bit as well, but it's, it's one of those things where when you're in it, you got to do whatever it takes to, to put yourself in the right frame of mind moving forward. And that's what I did. Yeah. It's always hard to turn down a foot massage. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I, these are great listener or great DPMR member questions. Um, what is the funniest insight from your run watch data? For instance, I had a run once that included a 75 minute mile. I don't know who sent that in, but I salute you. Um, anything come to mind, Helen? I, I didn't take a watch. Oh, my, right, right, right. I had my Apple watch, but it was turned off. Oh, cool. Huh. All right. All right. Adam. <coughs> yeah. Lap, just like you should recover for 178 hours. Yeah. <laughs> 178 <laughs> days probably is what it would have yeah. said. Uh, no, so... Uh, the watch that I have is a, is a Coros Vertex. One thing that's kind of cool was I finished a 37 hour run and still had 36% battery life left. That was pretty wild. But, um, so when I finished, uh, I, I, I can't remember exactly, but just to give you an idea, and this isn't counting, you know, like for example, 
yeah, I'd stop at an aid station for 30 minutes, not counting miles like that. I think my fastest mile for the whole thing was around 7.30 and the slowest was low 20s, maybe 22 minutes um, when I was actually moving. And that's not counting a couple like on Strava, it would show you an hour or whatever for yeah. a time I'm at an aid station. So, so yeah, pretty good, pretty good spread. But overall average pace was just over 13 minutes per mile and varying from 7.30 to 22. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Helen, what is the advice you give your past self the night before your FKT run started? <laughs> oh dear. Um, just... Go lighter. Follow, follow the breath. Follow the breath. I don't oh, know. Oh, just... I want that. <laughs> That's a great, that is a great bit of advice. Um, Adam, anything come to mind? Um, let the, take, take the next step and let the team take care of the rest. Hey, there you go. Um, I have two questions left. The first one is for both of you. And I guess the second one I want, I'm, I'm interested in Helen, your response as well. What's next for you guys? Any objectives on the radar? Any, any any adventures, anything like that? Any non-running stuff you want to talk about? I mentioned our two teenagers. We're starting distance learning again. So that's big. Um, but um, I have been enjoying, my daughter has a project. It's the Truckee Tahoe Peaks. And um, she's, we've identified this list of 20 peaks we've been working on together all year. Today, we just did our 12th, Mount Lola. Oh, we have quite a, a bit, we have a, quite a bit more work to squeeze in. Um, so that's um, something that's, a great that's keeping me pretty busy. What's the timeline on that, Helen? When does it end? <laughs> September 20th. So we got, you know, <laughs> we have a lot of work to squeeze in. <laughs> hey, that sounds like a lot of days in the mountains over the next couple of weeks. I'm fired up for it's, you. It's awesome work to do. There you go. Um, Adam, how about you? Anything on the radar? Not specifically. Yeah, just it's been about a month since the DRT. I'm allowing my, myself the, the mental bandwidth to, you know, regroup before for some other things. But I'm going to look to the fall, end of the year for, for potentially some other shorter or race or FKT objectives, depending on yeah. if events are happening or not. Um, and then uh, right now, just Karen and I have been kind of adventuring, going on camping trips, finding fun places to, to run and enjoy life. So that's... Yeah, you guys that's, are killing it. You yeah. guys are, <laughs> retirement post-FKT, you guys are crushing it. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, this question, my final question on behalf of Donner Party Mountain Runners is, uh, as, um, as Jack pointed out earlier, uh, from your mom, Adam, um, how do you think running has helped a lot? acclimate to life during the pandemic? Uh, for me, it's been the, um, the great stabilizer, you know, um, thankfully grateful for, for all of the things that, that we have generally speaking, but, um, super grateful for the fact that us living in, in Tahoe have a little bit more opportunity than say somebody living in a city to go out and, and run in places, even during a time where, you know, 
especially initially people, a lot of people weren't getting out. Right. But, but here we had that opportunity. And so, uh, it was, it was, I mean, without running, uh, I'm probably a much different person. Thankfully I don't know. <laughs> um, but it, it, it provides that, uh, it, it's, it's where I, it's where I go to think through life. It's where I go to soak up nature. It's, it's running is a lot of things to me. And so having, having that as like something that has remained unchanged during a time with a lot of change, uh, and change could be good, but in a situation like this, challenging change, it's, it's been really special. That's an answer worthy of mom. <laughs> yeah. Thanks mom. Um, Helen, I, I mentioned earlier, I want to throw Adam's mother's question at you because I value your insight very much. No, oh, thank you. I, for me, um, it's more about being outdoors than necessarily about what mode I'm outdoors. So running, hiking, walking. Um, occasionally I manage to get in a bike saddle. Um, and I agree with Adam that we're so fortunate that this is where we get to be outdoors and that um, our relatives in Europe uh, during the stay at home times, they weren't allowed to leave other than buy groceries. So we're, we're super very lucky. And um, being outdoors really helps me, the sunlight, the being with nature. But when the shutdown started in March, winter also resumed here in Truckee. So we were walking on the roads and it was, we started as a family going at 4 p.m. every day, every single day. Uh, the kids didn't always join us, but um, it was really a special time to get my husband uh, off his remote work and just be outdoors and have another dedicated time to connect. Um, so it's, I feel very fortunate. Yeah, that's so great. Um, I, I can't think of anything else to put on that. Um, thank you, Helen. Thank you, Adam, for your time and energy today. Um, thank you all of our DPMR members who support the club and help make events like this happen. Um, thank you that everybody was able to attend. Um, I'm, I personally am really grateful that we could do this. Um, I hope everybody else is as well. Um, it was just such an awesome conversation with such wonderful guests. Um, if you're not a DPMR member yet, connect, uh, you can connect with the Truckee Tahoe trail running community and sign up today. Um, you can check out and share this podcast from the mile 99 interview series. Um, subscribe, do all that and get out and run everybody get out and run. It's awesome out there right now. Yeah. Thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciate your time. And I, I want to make sure that we recognize Jack Macy, who's behind the scenes, um, managing all the technology. He's put a lot of work into helping this go smoothly. And Diane Frederick, the Donner Party Mountain Runners president, um, she put a lot of work into helping publicize and organize I appreciate so much everything the club continues to do. Thank you. Yeah, same for me. I read, I reiterate all of that. Um, I, when Diane said she was hoping for Chris to be the moderator, I was heavily in favor of that and he did not disappoint. So thank you, Chris, for, for uh, making this happen, man. It was awesome. Yeah, I'm just happy to, I'm spoiled enough to get to hang out with my friends on the internet. <laughs> good night. Good luck, everybody. Good night. Thanks guys.